What happens now? It is possible that new members are sitting with this question and may soon be directly asking all who were here when they arrived. What happens now? What does membership in this congregation mean? We know what Rod told us about it. We attended you, you, and you sessions. We know some of the details of pledging and participating and being present in ways that we can be. We have recited the mission and covenant with you all and the spirit of this place and the people resonates with us and with our lives in such a way that we have decided to become members. But what happens now? What will it feel like? What is it like to live in this place, to live into this community? How might it change my life, change me, change the world? And those who have been here, who are familiar, who may have months or years as members, may in turn be asking new members the same question. What happens now? We are excited by what you bring, heartened by your presence, encouraged by your decision to join with us in fulfilling our mission and living out our covenant. And we are eager to find out what happens now. Because we know that we are changed by what has happened today. Our sometimes clumsy language cannot quite capture it. For just as we welcome you, we are aware that you are now us. And just as we hope that you are changed by joining us, we also know that we are changed by you now being us and that we are no longer the we that we were before we welcomed you. Many times when I use the word we in a sermon, I'm talking about we who gather together in the words of our first hymn. We in this congregation, and I am aware that this we does not have a single static definition, (coughs) but is changing all the time. As people come and go, but also as people come and grow through deepening connections by nurturing spiritual growth, practicing justice, and inspiring joy, that people change by interaction and connection and collaboration with one another, that the promises and challenges of community and the call to bless the world changes people in ways we cannot foretell, so that what we do together and what it means and what it feels like to be a member All these things are ever and always a promise in process. And so the question travels right along with us. What happens now? That question itself is a message of hope. Now I understand it can be spoken in daily life with no small amount of apprehension. We are not always expecting a positive outcome. 
But the fact that it is a question speaks to possibility. As long as we still have some amount of curiosity, it means that we are allowing for the possibility that we may find, we may learn, we may become something new. Asking the question means we are open and we are willing, in the words of Holly Near, to what will, can be, and that we have given up any illusion of absolute certainty about what that is. Because very generally speaking, it seems to me like when we humans feel the most certain about an outcome, it is rarely an expectation of joy. Think of it, when someone says, well, you know what's going to happen. Does that usually end with, It's going to work beautifully. (laughs) You know what's going to happen? The sun's going to be shining that day that we have planned an outdoor event. You know what's going to happen? I'm going to get easily connected with the person I need to talk with, and I will be given all the information I need. You know what's going to happen? Things are going to come together and people are going to step forward in ways we have not even dared to imagine. You know, I know that's not the kinds of things I usually hear or the kinds of things I usually say when a sentence begins with, you know what's going to happen. When I am certain of that which I cannot truly predict, I am all too often closing down possibilities. Now I can fool myself. I can prophesy doom and tell myself that this just means that I will be pleasantly surprised at any other outcome. But by prophesying doom, I am making it incredibly difficult for myself to even recognize any other outcome. So why not give up perceived certainty in favor of sincere curiosity? What happens now? And I know it's easy to talk about possibilities. I'm a minister. It's my job to talk about the possibilities of change, the possibilities for transformation of ourselves, our congregation, our community, our world. But some things, let's face it, are just not really realistic. Some things are about as probable as taking a picture of a, do you know what's on the cover of your order of service? Black hole, that's right. Do you know what a black hole is? Here's my brief definition excerpted from an article in The Guardian on April 10th, 2019, entitled, Black Hole Picture Captured for First Time in Space Breakthrough. Einstein's theory of relativity predicted that beyond a certain threshold, when too much matter or energy is concentrated in one place, space and time collapse, leaving behind a sinkhole through which light and matter can enter, but not escape. And though it was Einstein's theory that predicted it, he was skeptical of it being an actual astronomical object and thought maybe it was just a mathematical oddity. Since his time, overwhelming evidence pointed to the fact that black holes actually 
existed. But to get a picture? Do you know what would be required to get a picture of a black hole? The equivalent of a telescope as big as the Earth, which has a resolution equivalent to being able to see a bagel on the moon. That's what they told me. I don't know. (laughs) How then did a picture of a black hole or technically what is called the event horizon, which encircles a black hole beyond which all physical laws collapse, given what is required to get such a picture, how did it happen and end up on the cover of your order of service today? Again, from The Guardian. The breakthrough image was captured by the Event Horizon Telescope, a network of eight radio telescopes spanning locations from Antarctica to Spain and Chile in an effort involving more than 200 scientists. The success of the project hinged on clear skies on several continents simultaneously and exquisite coordination between the eight far-flung teams. Observations at the different sites were coordinated using atomic clocks called hydrogen masers, accurate to within one second every hundred million years. And on one night in April 2017, everything came together. Even the people closely connected to the project were bowled over by the actual achievement. Stephen Dolman, EHT director and Harvard University senior research fellow, said, Black holes are the most mysterious objects in the universe. We have seen what we thought was unseeable. Franz Cordova, director of the U.S. National Science Foundation, And an astrophysicist said that the image brought tears to her eyes. We have been studying black holes for so long that sometimes it's easy to forget that none of us has seen one. This will leave an imprint on people's memories. Do you hear the emotion of that? Understand the improbability of that photo on your order of service. Computer scientist Katie Bowman, still a student at MIT when she came up with a new algorithm to stitch together the data collected across that network of telescopes, said, we are a melting pot of astronomers, physicists, mathematicians, and engineers, and that's what it took to achieve something once thought impossible. So is this just an astronomical detour I'm taking? Does it have anything to do with what we are talking about today? I think so. Because there is a part of me that finds some kind of distorted sense of security in closing down possibilities. In thinking I know more than I do. In thinking if we can't control the outcome, It's not worth putting in the work. There is a cynical side of me that hears the words of Paul Hawken in our reading 
talking about a movement of compassion, a movement that actively seeks to love the world. And he writes that he believes this movement will prevail. And I think, yeah, right. You know what's going to happen. I, your minister, left only to my own devices and a barrage of really bad news. And there is really bad news and people that are suffering. But if left with only the bad news and the human tendency to choose my own illusion of certainty over the vulnerability that comes with an open question, I am apt to conclude as if I had the right to conclude that maybe love because I can't measure it or conjure it or use it like a hammer, is more of a theological construct than a powerful force, the strongest thing in the world, as Selimai proclaimed. I am apt to imagine that I know what happens now, rather than asking the question. I'm apt to think I know more than I know, that I have more answers than I do, that my experience or my mood or my feeling or my frustration is somehow universal rather than listening closely for truth and possibility outside my areas of experience. And then I come here. And I watch and I listen to you and I hear people share with me about how this congregation saved them of the healing they experienced in this community. I watch the small things that you do with grace and sensitivity to how it fits into the whole, the small work in the great work, as Reverend Victoria Safford would say. And I watch as far as I can see which is only so far, the ripple effects of reclaiming our highest aspirations together. And I know the ripples keep going well beyond what I can see. And I read Katie Bowman saying, we're a melting pot of astronomers, physicists, mathematicians, and engineers, and that's what it took to achieve something once thought impossible. And how it sounds like Paul Hawkins saying that a crazy quilt assemblage of global humanity actively seeking to love the world can save the people of the world. And I hear Shepard Dolman saying we have seen what we thought was unseeable. And it reminds me that I can let go of cynical certainty in favor of eager curiosity. Because when we come together, living out our covenant, pursuing our mission, things can happen that I cannot even begin to foresee, but of which I have received glimpses, knowing we cannot guarantee outcomes, because love is not a tool that we use to perform a task of our choosing, but we can be humble, willing tools of love, working to raise awareness dismantle white supremacy, working to welcome and honor individuals in their beauty and uniqueness, working side by side, hand in hand, heart to heart, knowing love does not belong to us, but we belong to the love. This crazy quilt assemblage, this ever-changing congregation. Welcome to this community 
full of questions and possibilities. And the blessing that I offer today comes in the form of a question. What happens now? 